Amen. What a what a joy to come together in church. I I love coming to church. I, I don't, whether it's here or whether we're on holidays somewhere else and we go somewhere else wherever we are. It's such a joy for me to come together with God's family and. and oh, hey, honey. <laughs> in case you don't know, that's my wife. Um, <laughs> Uh, just it's such a joy, it's such a privilege for us to be able to be called the children of God and to come together and celebrate what God has done week by week and to remind ourselves to celebrate what He has done for us all through the week. It's, it's a privilege and it's a joy, it's, it's an honour to be able to share with you this morning and I just want to pray right now. Thank you Jesus. God we thank you for this morning. God I pray that you would so captivate our hearts Lord God with your love. That, Lord, as we go out from this place this afternoon, Lord Jesus, that for the rest of the week, that we would, we would just be oozing with a, a passion and a knowledge of your love, Lord God. That, Lord Jesus, wherever we go, we would be like a, a sopping wet sponge that people couldn't help but experience your love as they interact with us, Lord God. Give us grace for those who, who might hurt us or treat us the wrong way, Lord God. We just thank you, Jesus, for this time. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us by your Holy Spirit. We praise you, we thank you, we ask that you would just capture every thought of our lives and let it become one that honours and glorifies you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago I shared a story about what one of the youth had shared with me about a story that had a conversation with one of their friends about why Jesus didn't throw the stone at the woman who committed adultery. And Jesus said how, uh, let the person without sin cast the first stone. And this person was saying, so Jesus must have been guilty because he didn't throw the first stone. And this young person in our church fantastically said, that's not the point. He was showing God's grace, his mercy. He wants to forgive and offer forgiveness even though we deserve punishment. And then last week, I, I had a great conversation with someone and, and we were talking about, they come up to me after the service with a question. I want to encourage you to encourage people to ask questions. Do your best never to discourage anyone or make anyone feel small for asking questions about God. We, we're called, it might challenge us, but we are called to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. We're in a challenging place, and sometimes I say, wow, that's a big question. Let me pray about that. I'm not sure. And let's be honest when we don't know the answer. But someone came to me last week, and they had a great question. And it was, Andrew, why did Jesus have to die? And to be honest, I didn't answer the question straight away, because I thought, I'm not totally sure I'm getting the, 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 the context that they're asking and the way that they're actually meaning in this. And I encourage you to do the same when someone asks you a question. Try and understand the question before you just spill out everything you know. We can be guilty of that at times. But I just tried to listen and understand the question of why did Jesus have to die? And this person, rightfully so, was thinking, well, Jesus died. And the thought was, what did Jesus do that meant that he had to die? Well, in other words, what was, what was the reason? What was, why was this the consequence? What was this the consequence of? Did Jesus do something that meant he had to die? And I explained to this person, it was a great question, and, I, and if you had that question, hopefully this helps you this morning. Jesus didn't have to die. He chose to die. Jesus chose to come in our place and die a, sin, a sinner's death on a cross. The cross was for the worst of sinners. The cross was for those who had, had murdered others and, and done the most horrific things in Roman times. 
And Jesus was put to death as, as, as like one of the worst of sinners, and yet he had never sinned. Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus is God in human flesh. He didn't have to leave the comfort of heaven. Jesus chose to leave the comfort of heaven, to come to earth and to die in my place, in your place, to take the punishment for our sin. Jesus didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it for you and for me. If we can understand that concept, if we can understand that truth, it will change our lives forever. I was, uh, had a great time on Friday night hanging out with the junior youth guys and, and just sharing how God changed my life when I was in year eight at school and suddenly realized the grace of God for me. That even though I sinned, Jesus came and died as soon as death on the cross in my place. It changes our world. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what Jesus did. That is what his, he, he loves you. He loves you. John 15, verse 12 and 13, we read this a couple of weeks ago. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, Jesus calls us friends. He laid down his life for you and me that we might become his friends, that we might see his love and respond to what he's done for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 9 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, not by what you did to try and please God last week, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. This is the message the church has to proclaim to the world. And that's what we're here on this earth to do as his hands and feet, as his body, the church. We are called to proclaim this message. To tell people that Jesus came because God loves you. So that you wouldn't have to be separated from him forever. Jesus gave his life for us. We sinned, but God offers us mercy and grace, as I talked about last week. This is the gospel. This is the message we have. And I want to just explore a little bit deeper this morning the truth of the gospel and look at a particular passage. But before I go there, I want to just say that this passage, as you read it, you might read through it and go, wow, this is a little confusing. But as I was reading about this passage, and I, was, I often read, um, I, I would encourage you, when you try and understand the Bible, Open the Bible first. Let the Bible explain the Bible to you. If you've got a, a Bible that has cross-references and you can read other passages about the same scriptures, about the same topics, you can get a, a fuller picture of, of something. But sometimes it's good to read other people's thoughts and it helps us to, to, to read the truth about what God's Word says. And I was reading something by John Piper and he was talking about how when something is confusing, there's one of three things happening. 
And this can happen at school, this can happen at church, this can happen in a conversation with anyone. If something is confusing, there's one of three things happening. There's either A, someone's trying to explain something that they don't know much about and they aren't doing a very good job of it. Like in your maths class back in secondary school when that teacher was trying to explain something that to be honest, they didn't quite really even understand themselves. Now, don't put your hand up if you think you had a teacher like that. But <laughs> that's one option. There's something that is true and good, but there's someone that doesn't really understand it trying to explain it. The second option is that someone is trying to explain something that does not make sense. If something is trying to be explained that does not make sense, it doesn't matter how well they try and explain it, it does not make sense. Okay? Good. Number three, sometimes... Someone is trying to explain something and it's really confusing because it's a really, really big concept and our brains struggle to get our heads and our minds around the issue. Sometimes there's big issues in life and when something is confusing, I want you to think, what's happening here? Is this a crazy idea that's not actually true? Is this the person who's trying to tell me just isn't very good at explaining it? Or is it number three, I actually really need to dig into this to try and understand the truth? Because sometimes as we dig into that truth that's hard to understand, it changes our lives. I want to encourage you to dig into God's Word. Maybe you want to study the Word more next year. Maybe you want to go to Bible college or do, do Bible college. We're going to have a, a, um, a time in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I will let you know the date. We may have to change it for those people who I've already alerted to that. Uh, a time to get together to talk about the possibilities of having a Bible college class here at CFC next year. But I encourage you to dig into it. So we're going to dig into it right now. Everyone say, Led, let's dig in. Stand excited, let's dig in. Woo! Yeah, here we go. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read on in verse 12. And if you've got your Bible there, I encourage you to open it up and, and write down notes in the margin. So next time you read this, you go, oh, that's right. This is really confusing. But I get it now because I'm believing by the end of this time, you're going to understand it because it's going to change your life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. Sorry, verse 12. And just to explain right now on the, sc on the screen, sorry if you're listening on the podcast, but on the screen, when I'm talking about Adam, I'll put it in black. When I've talked about the consequences of Adam, I'll put it in black. And when I talk about Jesus and the consequences of what he's done, I use yellow. So just to, in case you somehow missed my concept there, I'm just going to paint that picture right now. Let's read it. When Adam sinned, so this is Adam in the beginning, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this is Adam. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, talking about the Mosaic law that was given to Moses. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. And from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God Sorry, I think I missed that. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Yes, yeah, sorry. Okay, I just want to pause right there. And can I get my, my helpers to grab those stools for me? Um, I just want to do a bit of a, a, a picture example this morning. And if you're listening on the podcast, apologies again. Um, thanks, guys. You're doing a good job. I want to grab this beanbag over here. And uh, I tried to grab the one that looks the most like the world. It's like, does that look like swirling colors of the world? It's like beautiful... Beautiful colours there. Thanks, guys. 
God made the world. In the beginning, God made the world. It was perfect. It was amazing. It was much more balanced and spherical than that. And it, God made a perfect world that we could have relationship with God. We could have intimacy with God. We had intimacy and, and, and full relationship with one another. That was God's intention in the beginning. God made it that way. Adam and Eve enjoyed the cool of the garden, walking with God and talking with God. And I think about what life would have been like in that time. And I think, oh God, I wish we could be in that place even today, always, at every moment. That is paradise right there. Perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with God in the perfect world that God created. But Adam sinned. And this morning I want us to think about sin not as something we do, but as, as, a, as a place. And I've got a, another beanbag here, which is black and it's in darkness. It's, it's, there we are. So when, when Saddam... When Adam, when Adam sinned, Adam chose to ignore God's rule, his reign. He chose to step outside of God's blessing. He started, decided to ignore God's command and he sinned. It's like he's removed himself from God. He's removed himself from the blessings of God. He's stepped outside of the blessing of God and he's gone to this place of sin. Okay, are we following? Not if you are, Great. When Adam sinned, sin ended the world, and Adam's sin brought death. Okay, I just want you to forget about beanbag land for a second. Come back to Australia. We're living here. Imagine, maybe you are, maybe you were born in Australia. But imagine you get married, and you and your wife, spouse, decide to move to New Zealand. And you move to New Zealand, and you decide, I'm never going back to Australia. I'm living here for the rest of my life. And you have kids. Where are your kids born? New Zealand. They're not automatically transported back to Australia and born there? No, they're born in New Zealand because that's where you are. Now, now let's transport back to beanbag land again. Um, Adam sinned. He left God's presence. He was, they, they, were, they were physically cast out of the garden and they went to that place of sin, of living as their own ruler, as ignoring God's rule and reign. And they entered into a place of death. And from Adam and Eve, their seed were born into sin. They weren't born back in the perfect garden without sin. They were born into sin. They were under the curse of sin from the time they were born. Sadly, every person who has ever been born has, has come from the seed of Adam and Eve and they have been born into sin. And as it says, death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. So, actually, the people that were born here, even though they had no explicit law to break, they were born into sin and under the curse of sin. Now, the reality is every one of us has sinned. We, we all uh, ignore God's command. We all break His rule. And Romans 1 tells us in our hearts we all instinctively know God's law, even if there was no written law. So we are all sinners but we die and we live under the curse of sin because we were born into sin. We all do sin, but we were under sin, if we could ever have not sinned, anyway. But we can't not sin because we're born into it. That's our nature, sadly. It says, so even though there was no break, law to break, 
So yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was no law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of God. They were born into sin. We are born into sin. We're under the curse of sin, and we all die. We all are separated from God because of sin. Now, sadly, even an unborn infant, a a, a tiny baby, they, they haven't committed any sin, but they are under the curse of sin, and sadly, young children pass away. Not because of their sin, because they are born into sin. We live in a broken, fallen world that is under the curse of sin. People ask, why does suffering happen? Because we stepped out of God's good and perfect place. We we became under the, the curse of sin. And we all struggle with that because of Adam's sin. Now, in reality, if he hadn't sinned, you and I would have done it anyway, and we would have ended up here. But we are all under the curse of sin. Let's keep reading. Hopefully it's making sense. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. Now, just pause for a moment. That sounds crazy. Adam is a symbol of Christ. Adam sinned and took us from God's presence over here into this world of sin. That's horrible. It's like, it's, it's, it's confusing almost to think about that concept to say that Adam is a representation of Christ. But we'll keep reading. Verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For, this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. We are all born into this place. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came born not of the seed of man. He was not born under sin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was not under the curse of sin. He was without sin. He had never sinned. And yet Jesus left the comfort of heaven and stepped into our sinful, fallen, broken world and gave himself as the penalty for sin. He died our death penalty He took our place on the cross that anyone who puts their faith in him can be set free from the power of sin and enter back into fellowship and relationship with the living God. Jesus rose again three days later. He was crucified on a cross. And yet he rose again three days later declaring to the world that sin had no power over him. He was not under the power of sin. He had dealt with the the, the consequence of the fall of sin. And now we can be set free and have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It says we are seen as righteous if we put our faith in Him. He counts our faith as righteousness. We are seen as holy and pure and spotless in God's presence because of Jesus' death for us. We don't have to live in this place anymore. The reality is we, we live physically in this place still. But we are not of this world anymore. The Bible talks about how we are aliens and foreigners in this land. Because we are new creations in Christ. We have complete fellowship with God and with one another. We are, we are made new. We might still look the same. We might still live in the same house. We might still live on the same street, on the same fallen, broken, sin-affected world. But we are new creations in Christ. Wow. <laughs> Let's keep reading. 
And the result of God's gracious gift through Jesus is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to a condemnation, but God's free gift leads to us being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. We deserve to be in this place. But he has taken us out of that place and gives us right standing with God so that we can have relationship with him for eternity. And in reality, our, our, our physical bodies die, but in Christ there is no death. We, we, our physical bodies die, but our, our, our spirit lives on with him for eternity. We, we, we don't have to face death because even in death we have life. We're not under the curse of sin anymore because Jesus' free gift leads to us being, me, us being made right with God in his sight. I'm so excited I can't get my words out. We were guilty, but he has made us right. It's nothing we did. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's what Jesus has done for our community and our world that they need to know. Verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. And in reality, everyone, until they came to a knowledge of God and his, his love for them and put their faith in him. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Now, it's a choice to receive it. We don't automatically receive it. We have to accept that gift. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ, we can live in triumph over sin and death because of the gift of righteousness that we have through Christ. I hope your brain is comprehending and you're not thinking, wow, this is the first case of confusion I have you right now. Next verse. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone because we're all born into that place of sin. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. We all, every person on this planet, has the opportunity to step into that gift of forgiveness and right standing with God. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Do you know that you have the righteousness of God today? Do you know that Jesus died for your sin? Is your faith, is your trust in what he has done for you to take you out of that world of sin and to give you right standing with God through his death, his death penalty for you? Do you know that today? These two people are similar and yet very different. In Adam, through Adam, we came into a place of sin and death for everyone. This one man's act changed the course of human history, although if he hadn't sinned, I'm sure the next person would have. In Adam, there is sin and death, but through this other man, Jesus Christ, we can all, every person on this planet, come into righteousness and life. We can have these things. We can live in that place for anyone who will come to him and accept his gift of forgiveness, his gift of his sacrifice for us on the cross. They're similar, and yet the consequence of the two people is very different. I wonder which one are we living under? 
what Adam has done, are we living in sin and what's going to end in death, or are we living under the rule of Christ, which brings righteousness and life for eternity? Thank you, Lord. I want to read again what it says in Romans 5, verse 6 to 11, with this concept in mind. It says, when we were utterly helpless, we were living in sin and we cannot rescue ourselves from it. We could do nothing to earn God's forgiveness. We were utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He left the comfort of heaven to die for sinners like you and me. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great, amazing, ridiculous, crazy love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We had done nothing to deserve God's love. We had done nothing to earn His forgiveness. He did it while we were His enemies. And since, verse 9 And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God, our relationship with God, was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. As we try and live as children of God, as we try and live our lives in the honour of God, we will certainly be saved. You will not lose your salvation if you stumble and fall at times. It was His blood, it was His sacrifice that saves us from our sin, saves us from the consequence of our sin. Verse 11, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We don't have to live in this place of separation from God anymore. We can live even though we're still in the same earth that's affected by sin and there's, there's pain and hurt and suffering, we don't have to live in that place of separation from God. We can know that His love is for us. Every day we can know that. You know, we don't come to church every week to be reminded that we're sinners. I think we can remind ourselves of that pretty well every day. Our struggle is not to say, oh wow, I, I realise I need forgiveness in this life, we, we, we struggle with our, the fact that what Jesus has done is enough. I think so often we, we forget what God has done is enough. And we come to church every week to rejoice and celebrate and praise God for what He has done for us already. I come to church with excitement every week because we're not doing anything that gets our salvation. We're praising God because He's already given us salvation. We come to church not to remind each other that we're sinners, but we're saved by grace. And that we have a message that is for the saving of all people. Every person is loved by God. Every person God is calling and drawing and wants them to know that they can escape the, the consequences of sin and death. That they don't have to live in that place of sin and death anymore, but they can live with life, with hope, with a future and an eternity with Him in heaven, in paradise. I can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. But I think imagine your greatest concept of what heaven could be like, and I'm sure it's ten times greater. I don't know if there's going to be bikes in heaven. I'm a little bit sad about that. But I'm sure there's going to be something better. In fact, I, 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 I thought maybe, maybe heaven would be like one great beach. And yet, 
I believe there's, there's no ocean in heaven. And I'm thinking, well, there must be something a hundred times greater. Anyway, heaven is going to be awesome. <laughs> Our hope is in Christ. As we come to church every Sunday, we take communion. I know a lot of churches don't take communion every Sunday, but... We take communion every Sunday because we never want to forget that our hope is because of Jesus' death for us. It's because of his sacrifice that we have any hope in this life or the life to come. The central aspect of our worship has got to be about what Jesus has done through the cross. We have no hope apart from his sacrifice for us through his shed blood for us through the cross. Without that, we were separated and cut off from him. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him and in him alone. I want to read two last scriptures this morning. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? There's some sarcasm in this tone. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? It's like, absolutely! Are you crazy? There is so much encouragement in Christ. If you belong to Christ, we have nothing to fear. What greater encouragement could we ever have than to know that God is for us and not against us? Is there any comfort from His love? Absolutely! No matter what you face in this life, you know God's love and His comfort is yours. That nothing can separate you from His love. Absolutely there is comfort in His love. Any fellowship together in His Spirit, I probably wouldn't know any of you if it wasn't for Jesus. Praise be to God, I could know you and I can call you my brother and sister in Christ. There's fellowship together. We, we are united as one people, one body in Christ because of Jesus. Are our hearts tender and compassionate? God help it to be so. As we understand the grace and forgiveness of God, it softens our heart. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life when my heart is like a little bit of Play-Doh that's been sitting around too long in the sun and it gets a little bit of a crusty edge. And we need to let God's love and His forgiveness impact our hearts again that that dry, hard crust might fall away and our hearts will become tender and compassionate and forgiving and gracious again. Praise be to God. Absolutely there are are those things in Christ. So verse 2, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do we do that? I wonder if we truly do that, that we think of others as better than ourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. 
on earth our knee bowed. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God help us to have the same attitude as Christ day by day, moment by moment. God help us to have that same attitude as Christ. I think of Jesus, he, he knew who he was and God wants us to know who we are in Christ, that we are not under sin and death anymore. We don't have to try and impress anyone. We don't try to have to earn our forgiveness. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We need to know who we are in Christ. But then also to give ourselves for others. Jesus laid down his life for us. And God is calling us to lay down our lives for those around us. You know, maybe some of them still call you enemies, but God wants to call them friends. God wants us to offer love to those who don't offer love to us. To know who we are in Christ, but not to hold on to that and say, I'm a child of God, you should treat me like one. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of the living king. You've got to treat me like a prince. Bring on the food. No, but to lay down our lives, to not cling to what, who we are in Christ and demand what the people treat us the way we should be treated, but to lay down our life as a living sacrifice so that others might know the hope that we have in Christ as well. God help us. When I was up at the gathering conference up in Gold Coast a little earlier this year, and it was a, a gathering of people in business leaders and, and church leaders and people from all different kinds of walks of life. I remember someone sharing uh, their definition of, of, of living in God's purpose for us. And I thought it was a, a good little takeaway. You can think of it what you want. But I was talking about our, our greatest purpose in life is where our deepest, our, our greatest joy intersects with our world's deepest needs. Where your deepest Joy and the world's deepest needs intersect is where you find your purpose in life. God wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know who, how he's created us and, and, and the gifts that we have, the person we are, the things we love doing. And we don't have to deny that. We don't have to walk away from that. But don't just do it for your own joy. Look for the way that in your deepest joy, how can you use that joy to, to bring the greatest blessing to the world's deepest need. You know, I, I, I love being a school chaplain one day a week in one of the schools in Colac here at Colac West. And I spend a lot of time cutting out clocks and, and uh, running bike ed groups, which is really fun too. I get to combine my deepest joys. It's fantastic. But I want to not just be there as someone who, who helps people. I want my deepest joy to intersect their deepest need. I wonder, what, are you, what do you do day by day? What, what is the place you're in? Who, who are you? What are the things you do? And how can what you do in life intersect with our world's deepest need, which is a knowledge of his love for us, of God's love for us? How can you as a, a hairdresser, a plumber, a plasterer, a, a teacher, a scientist, whatever you do, how can what you do intersect with our world's deepest needs? Maybe you only see one person in your week, most weeks. That narrows it down, doesn't it? 
Or maybe there's an opportunity to go and meet another person. Where is God leading you to let your deepest joy, whatever you do in life, intersect with our world's deepest needs? You can think about that some more. We've talked the last three, three or more months about discipleship. And the last, a couple of weeks ago, I shared about some of the things that God's put on my heart. And I believe God's stirring in us as a church about outreaching to other places and potentially it's doing a or some church plants in other locations i want to say thank you to all those who've given feedback on some of those thoughts and for those who are putting up your hand and saying oh, i want to be a part of this and go and see this happen because you know what it takes us knowing who we are in christ knowing what jesus has done for us but then giving of ourselves to see these things happen I talked a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of starting a Christian school here in Colac, and I still say that with fear and trembling because I see that as a huge, huge project. But I've had some great conversations with people in the last few weeks even and uh, investigating different options of how that could proceed and um, things are happening, not in a quick way yet. Please keep praying that God will lead us and if it's what God wants, let's pray that it will come to pass. Thirdly, supporting Aboriginal people and going to partner with another community to support Aboriginal people. I've been, again this week, taking some steps to try and see that come to pass. It's, it's not going to be a quick process, but we're taking steps because we want to give of ourselves because we know what God has given us. That's my fourth point. I want us to think about how can we give our time, our talent, our treasure. Mike and Kim have already stolen my thunder and preached my message. We want to give of ourselves because we know what Jesus has given for us. Giving our time. Letting God use us in what we do day by day. Being available to Him throughout our, our, our life, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. When people ask questions, give your time. I would encourage you, as, as Kim said, to, to commit to serve as a, a part of this body here at CSC. To think about how can you engage with the mission of Christ in this church. And I, I want to encourage you to think of a way you can engage, if possible, this isn't law, a law, this isn't every person has to do this, but I want to encourage you to pray, God, can I in some way volunteer somehow on a Sunday morning? Maybe it's in helping get communion ready. Maybe it's helping set up morning tea. Uh, maybe it's helping in Bob's church, whatever it might be. Is there something you could do on a Sunday morning to be a part of this body in serving one another? Maybe it's greeting. Am I greeting in the car park? I'm going to bring that up again. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there's something you can do through the week as well. That outside of our time together on a Sunday morning, there's something you can do to partner together in the mission of God we have together. I want to encourage you to think about that. To give our time. And secondly, our talent. We all have gifts and talents and things that we're good at. But I also want to encourage you, don't just serve in your area of talent. I want to encourage you just to serve where there's opportunity. Um, I never desired to become a pastor, to be honest. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but I just felt God stirring me to serve where I had opportunity and God gave me opportunity. So I said, thank you, Lord, bring it on. Let's do this. God is able even where we're unable. When we are weak, He gets the greatest praise, I believe. Don't just work in your area of talent. Be willing to serve in any area. And let's give our treasure. I hate talking about money a, because people sometimes think that the church is all about trying to get money. But, you know, the mission of God takes money to do the mission. It takes money to turn on lights and, and run a building and, and run the ministries we have. And it will take finance to 
do outreaches, plant churches, start Christian schools, support Aboriginal communities and partner with them. But God, enlarge our hearts in our time, in our, in our, in our giving, in our practical ways, but also in our finance. I want to encourage you to, to give in to the ministry that you are a part of. The Bible talks about tithing, as Mike's already shared again. The Bible talks about tithing, giving a tenth of whatever God gives us for the, for the work of God's church. And I, I talked about last year how, again, what Mike said, that everything I have is God's. And as a teenager, God challenged my heart to, to give a tenth of whatever income I have, and I've tried to apply that ever since that time. But not just to give a tenth and feel like I've given what God's asked me to do. I want to be generous. I want to give above and beyond that. And we, as a family, support different things outside of this church and outside of CRC and just things that God's put on our heart to support. And I want to encourage you to consider what God wants you to give. Don't give because you have to or because I'm telling you to. Don't feel like you're getting your arm twisted, but pray about what you can give. It is such a blessing to be able to bless others. As a church, we practice tithing ourselves. We, we give a tenth and, a, and above and beyond 10% of what we have come in as a church and to other missions in other places. And I get emails and feedback from those places and I feel like we are so blessed to be able to be any part of what these people are doing in other places for God's glory. It is such a blessing for us to be able to give. I want to encourage you to consider how you can partner with the ministry we're a part of. I want to finish by playing a video in just a moment and this video it's it's about leadership but i think it's it's also not really about leadership it's about the power we all have to make a difference as we work and move together it's a little humorous i hope you don't mind my humor uh, it's about leadership but it's the power every one of us has as we work together and follow god's call to us can we go maybe if we dim the lights that'd be great making a movement then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in Sorry, under three minutes start, I think it's and dissect some first lessons bit. first of course a leader needs the guts to stand You'll be over alone the shock and factor and babble listen this time if you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons first of course a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous but what he's doing is so simple it's almost instructional this is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. See, it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers, because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point, and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, 
there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, Remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. I want to courageously follow Jesus Christ. I want to be standing like that lone nut, calling other people to come follow him also. And maybe you feel like that lone nut out on your own and you're feeling like no one's following, no, no one's listening. How can I make a difference with the little things I can do? But together we can start a movement. Together we can start something. We can be a part of seeing a movement grow and develop. We might wonder what we can do, but together we can make a difference. Together we can see people come out of a world of sin and death and brought into God's kingdom of light. It's not about us. It's not about what they can do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm just going to read this last verse in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your, your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Let's stand this morning and let's rejoice. Let's celebrate who we are in Christ and let's be stirred to go out from this place to be his ambassadors, to tell people about the love of God that saves sinners like us. Thank you, Jesus.